What are you afraid of? I am... What am I afraid of? I'm afraid that people will believe that the Jesus they heard about from the televangelists on TV is the real deal. I'm afraid that people will believe that Jesus is a uh, gumball machine, that he's a uh, slot machine in Vegas. You put a quarter in and you're supposed to get 250 grand out. I am afraid that Jesus has been reduced to a product rather than to a person. I am afraid that we're selling a commodity rather than giving away life. I am afraid that we have made Jesus safe, that we've made Jesus easy. I am afraid that we have uh, domesticated an animal, a lion, a tiger, a bear, I'm afraid that we defanged and declawed a dangerous beast that wants to revolutionize our life, our world, wants to mess up the order that we've created, wants to rearrange our house, our thinking, our checkbook, and our world. Oh, is the church just a big zoo? Is the church just a big zoo? And Jesus is sitting in a cage. We come by, we kind of throw things at him. We say, look, mom, look, look at the monkey. Look at the tricks he can perform. We stick a peanut in his mouth. We say, hey, we'll be back next week. Hope you perform again. Thanks. Thanks, little Jesus. Stay in your cage. Don't want you to come out. Because if so, we might have to run. We might have to run fast and far. We might have to look over our back. We might have to speed up. We might also have to slow down. We may have to go to places we don't want to go. Do things we don't want to do. So please, please, Jesus, stay in your cage. Where, where don't you want to go? Where don't I want to go? I don't want to go to nice people and talk about nice things. I don't want to help uh, good people get a little better. I want to help uh, broken people get healed. I want to help hurting people find hope. Uh, I want to find... uh, What do I want to find? I want to see hungry people fed. I want to see hungry people fed. Yeah. So you, do, you feed people by talking louder than the TV evangelist? <laughs> you know what? In a world of, of bigger, faster, louder, I'm interested in quieter, slower. In a world of bigger, louder, faster, I want slower. I want quieter. I want softer. I want to slow down. I don't want a noisy church. I want a quiet church. I don't want explosions going off. I don't want things turned up to 11. I want them at 1. 
So I have to sit still and listen in real close, real close. So the prophets called him the Lion of Judah. We know that he could move the laws of nature so that he could turn water into wine in a nanosecond, skipping the whole grape process as he did what he wanted to do. He wasn't held at the mercy of thunderstorms and gale force winds. In fact, he told them what to do. Demons had to ask his permission to go where they wanted to go. He tore apart the caverns of death. He was the first dead human to say to death, I don't think I want to stay here. He was not intimidated by man's opinions or by demonic threats. His love would rip apart cultural cruelties and would whisper revolutionary thoughts. And his mission? His mission was to bring heaven and earth back together again, God's world and ours, undivided. Easter gave us a taste of that. In fact, Easter certifies what the Greeks called a parousia, literally translated a presence. Because you see, when Jesus showed up, there had not been a manifest presence of our Creator for 400 years. And Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is here now. Parousia is here. And to prove it, he died for our sins and rose again so that he could say to them, neither death nor sin can stop my parousia. The separation from your father is over, and so is your paralysis, because up to this point you haven't been doing what I set you here to do, which is to take dominion over this earth, and the problem is you cannot do that without parousia, and you lost your parousia and the presence, and therefore you have no authority. But I am here to tell you that that parousia is back and you can simply say, come your kingdom and be done your will and work that out and bring my parousia and take authority. So here's my spirit. It will manifest my presence, my parousia in you. And as a result, there's two things that I've always wanted you to do that you can do. Because now you have the ability to love me with all your heart, God says, and your neighbor is yourself. That will spread my presence and my authority over this earth. Those two simple things. Parousia. It will spread as you love and as you worship. 
And when you do that, other people will say, oh, that's what I've been looking for. I'm looking for Perusia. I'm looking for home base. I'm looking for, I'm looking for that presence that I have missed so desperately because it's built with inside of us. The scripture says that eternity has been built into our hearts. We are desirous of being with the one that we're supposed to be with forever. And it seems so void and empty. And now this Perusia shows up and we say, yes, but see, at the same time we have that presence now, we also have an absence. We feel so homesick. I asked Doug if I could talk to him a little bit this morning. Doug, where'd you go? There you are. You got a cell phone? You do. Do you text at all? Yes, Yes, you do. So you you normally text people you like? That's a good idea. So so you text people you like. So let's say that in, in in a couple of years, you fall head over heels in love with somebody. That work for you? Yeah. That's good, okay. So you're, you're, you're in love with this person, and so you're, you're in class, and she's in class, and, and, and you want to communicate, so you start texting with each other. And, you, and, and so you're, you're falling in love with her, and, and she's just gorgeous. So what kind of stuff do you think you'd text to her that you could say out loud here with us? <laughs> nice things. That's good. Girl, girls like nice things, don't they? Yeah, they do. So nice things, you might just say, hey, miss you today. Uh, cute thing, you're hot. And, and, and then you could say, I'm hot. And just, just stuff like that. That would be good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're texting back and forth. And, and it just gives you kind of a sense that, that you're connected. And, but, but Friday night, Friday night, you got your own place. And you're going to invite her over. And, and your place, you, you got the, the really big, big... TV and you've got you've got the, the Blu-ray and she's picked out the romantic movie you're going to watch and and you you, you even made dinner for her and so you had dinner and you and you, and you yeah you did so we're, remember we're, we're we're fantasizing now really you are really great guy so so you made the meal and and you you, you kind of cuddle up next to each other on, on the couch and you're watching the romantic movie and. And it is just the perfect movie, and, and it's, even you like it, because you're kind of enjoying it, cause, because there's some violence in it, so you're okay. And, and so, so, so we're, we're going through this thing, and, and so then you get to the spot where it's just so romantic, and, and you, just, you, just, you, you just cuddle next to each other, and you turn, and you look in those, what color eyes does she have? <laughs> does she have eyes? Just one. Just one. <laughs> We're fantasizing. <laughs> if that's your fantasy, I need to talk to you. <laughs> All right, we're going to say she has blue eyes. We'll go with blue eyes. One blue eye, one green eye. We're, we're good. And maybe a brown eye. Maybe she has three. We're fantasizing. All right. I digress. Let's go back. So y- you turn and you look in her eyes, and you reach over and you start texting to her. No. No, because you're right there. So let me ask you a question. If you have the choice between being right there with her or texting and not being with her, which do you choose? Being right there with her. Smart man. See, here's our problem. It's as if we've been texting to God. It's, we're, we're checking our Facebook with God. We're, we're, we're giving our status to God because he's, he's not right here. He, we can't look him in the eyes. And, and we have this desperate desire to want to be with him. But we're in this texting place, this, 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 this Skyping place, this emailing place, where we're just, we're just not there, and yet we, we're, we're communicating, we just want to be with him so desperately. 
And he says to us this. I'm letting you do the dominion thing because my presence is in you because I made you to take dominion and I want you to take dominion. I want you to bring my parousia to this world. I'm going to have you do that. I started it and we're going to finish it. But I want you to know that there is a second parousia, a second presence, literally translated another way, a second coming. And I'm going to show up, and when I get there, you don't need to text anymore because we're going to be together, and we're going to cuddle, and we're going to look each other in the eye, and you're going to know that you are so deeply loved. And not only that, but when I come, I will judge murder and trafficking and racism and abuse. All the things things that have torn away at our relationship with each other and torn you apart. (coughs) Excuse me. I will take care of that. I will judge it and throw it out. You say, that's what we've been wanting. Oh, Jesus, come quickly, they said in the first century. Come, 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 come. Perusia. Come. You say, Pastor, when will that happen? And how will it happen? I'll tell you in two weeks. We'll get to that spot. But what I want to tell you about today is this, that those who are Perusia people, presence people, are so different than anybody else in our culture. So, Doug, you got your own place. And you're a guy, so probably there's fast food wrappers laying around, dirty dishes piled up in the sink everywhere, absolutely, because you know that you can wash them once a month and you're going to be cool with that. The carpet's not been vacuumed because you don't even own a car, uh, vacuum, so you don't mind the stuff and the toenail clippings. You're okay. <laughs> and, and, and you've got pictures on the wall of your former girlfriends and you have pictures on the wall of people you want to be your girlfriend they're, they're on the wall so now you've fallen in love and, and, and this girl that you're falling in love with says you know you never had me to your place so I'm going to stop by sometime this week I'm not telling you when what will you do this week where's your mama yeah <laughs> Call your mom. You're going to clean up the place. Wrappers get trashed. You go find a vacuum. What happens to the pictures on the wall? They're down. Because you're now a totally different person because the one you love is showing up. When we are Perusia people and we know that Jesus said, I will show up unexpected, we live like different people. I appreciate the wording of Bishop N.T. Wright who says, people who believe that Jesus is already Lord and that he will appear again as judge of this world, are called and equipped, to put it mildly, to think and act quite differently in the world from those who don't. Paul the Apostle, talking to some friends, describes what that difference looks like. You see, he had gone to this place called Thessalonica. Today it's Thessaloniki in Greece. And and he'd gone to this place, and he had shown up to a, a cosmopolitan center marketplace of the Roman world that, that had so many gods. They had m- more gods than Toyota has recalls. I'm telling you, there were a lot. 
And he shows up and he says to them that there is this God and he proved that he is God. He sent his son and his son died and rose again and, and they take hold of it. But about three or four months into this process, Paul has to leave with his entourage because there are those who now want him out because of the message he's preaching. And so in about a year after that, he is so concerned about what has happened to those people in Thessalonica that he sends his, his protege, Timothy, there to make sure that they didn't make him into some slot machine god or a gumball god or one of their many gods. But did they hold on to this? And here's what Timothy responded when he came back. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news. Circle good news. About your faith and love. Circle faith and love. He has told us that you have always, always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith, for now we really live since you are in circles standing firm in the Lord. Paul is, the word Paul uses when he says good news is the, the word that he has always reserved for the expression of Jesus coming and dying. It is the good news. We read it sometimes as the gospel. He is really psyched about the good news and the gospel, and he always uses that word to, to, to talk about the feeling that he has about what Jesus has done in his life. So rarely does he use it outside that, but he uses it now talking about these folks, this good news that he is so psyched that they are living out what they had learned, that they are living as people of parousia, looking for the return of Christ. And he phrases it this way. He says, you are standing firm in the Lord. You are not godless. You're not Jesusless. You're standing firm. It is the way that people of Perusia live, and I want to talk about that this morning. How do we do that if we are looking for Jesus? Let me just ask you this. How many of you really do believe that Jesus is coming back for those who have faith in him, and it could be any moment? Then, if that is the case, there is a specific way we live that proves that out. And the first thing I think Paul's telling us is this. Let's quit running from the pain. You say, wow, wow. The pain? Why, why would I want that? Let me explain that to you. My, my wife Pam sent this to me in an email a couple weeks ago. Do you know that when a woman wears a leather dress, a man's heart beats quicker, his throat gets dry, he gets weak in the knees, and he begins to think irrationally? Want to know why? It's because she smells like a new truck. She's thinking romance, he's thinking something else, and they're thinking two separate things. When it comes to pain in our lives, I think that we're thinking one thing, and God is thinking something else. So Paul the Apostle is very concerned that because of the death threats, because of the beatings, because of the incarceration of those in Thessalonica, he is fearful that all of those things have overwhelmed them and they've let go of their faith. The pain has moved them beyond their faith. Because you see, we respond differently in those tough moments, and especially if we are not with a certainty that Jesus has control 
And we deal with that in our pain. Jesus, do you have full control? And one of the first things that happens is that we begin to resent those who got us in this. You brought me to Jesus and things got worse. Jesus, you said that you'd take care of me and I'm dealing with these issues. The pain is intense. Jesus, are you even here? I don't know if I believe in you anymore because of my pain. Tell me where you find in Scripture or in the teachings of Jesus where he said, when you put your faith in me, I will pull you out of this world and take you to my holy spa. And I will pamper you and we will wait for this earth to crumble and I will put you back there. Nowhere did he say, I will pull you out because, you know, as the world is decaying, as oil wells are spilling into the gulf, when all of that happens and the earth is shaking and there's tornadoes and there's pain and suffering and there are earthquakes and children in Haiti need food and as as long as there are people that that are, are deadly and they are despondent, I'll pull you out and let the Holy Spirit massage away your pain. As angels sing the best of casting crowns, an essence of Cinnabon wafts through the air. You know what he said? He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, trouble. What's what I'm saying, Jesus? Get me out of here. No, no, no. Because there's trouble, I need my presence in that trouble, and I need for you to move in there with my presence, with my parousia. Therefore, I'm not pulling you out. I'm putting you in the middle of it, and because you're there, you're going to feel some of it too. But in this world, you had trouble, but I have overcome the world. So how do I do that? Well, Paul says here, he says, in your pain, what you're going through, you have pleasant memories. The wording simply means this, that as you are feeling all of this persecution and this pain, you keep going back and remembering what you were taught and how we lived it. And as a result of that, it says it is of great benefit, is is, is actually the terminology there, it's great benefit to you. You you are holding fast because you know there is something about to happen. Let me give you somewhat of a weak illustration when when you look at what he's dealing with here, but maybe it'll give us a little insight. I can still remember the night before Pam and I were married. Had the the rehearsal dinner, and, and, and I remember just that night saying goodnight to her, knowing that the next day I was going to be married to her. And then, and then we're going to go on this honeymoon, and it's just going to be great. And so we're together, and I give her this really wonderful, juicy kiss. It's the last time I'm going to kiss you before I kiss you again, and, you're, and, and we're together. And so I leave her, and I go to where I'm staying, and now I've got to go through the night. And I can remember waking up in the night just thinking about her and the life we've had together and the life we're going to have together. But I still got to get through the night, and it's dark. And the next time I see her is when she's coming down the aisle, my bride. And I say, yeah. And I'm not saying, yeah, because the ceremony is so great. I'm a guy. I'm 21 years old. Yeah. Honeymoon in two hours. Yeah. (laughs) 
Paul says, there are all those moments in your pain that you've got to think back to what Jesus has already said to you, what he's already done for you, those things. And you've got, to, that's the kiss before. Those are the things you've got to remember. You just don't sit there and say, oh, I'm in so much pain, did God leave? No, he, remember this stuff. And that stuff tells me that I'm going to have to make it through the night and it's going to be dark in the night. But next time I see him, next time I see this one I love, he's coming and we're going to be married together. And then we've got this intimacy that lasts forever. So what I want to encourage you to do is recite the good things. In your pain right now, in your, in your desperation, recite the good things. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. This is what he did through, throughout the scripture. And I can trust him and not only trust him here, but because I'll make it through this night and I will see him again. And when I do, it will be absolutely perfect. So I will make it through. Recite the good things. See, secondly, if we lose the view of his control, one of the things we do is we isolate ourselves. So we know that that Jesus is coming for his bride. So who is his bride? Us. Sometimes we forget that and we say, me, I'm going to take care of me. But it's never been me. It is us. We are his bride. It started that way. Luke, the physician, records what the church was like when it began, Acts 2.42. It says this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all believers were what? Together. And had what? Everything in common. They were together. It is not me every day saying, I'm the bride of Christ, I'm the bride of Christ, I'm the bride of Christ, and and I'm trying to be pretty. I'm the bride of Christ, I'm going to be pretty. It's not that. It's we are the bride of Christ, and we have got to be pretty. It's just not me. I'm not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, his church. Therefore, we've got to take care of each other so that we are presentable before him. We are the bride. That's why Paul was so excited because he said, you all are yearning to see us, to get back to you because we're part of that whole grouping. We're part of the bride and we can't wait to see you. The toughest moments in our lives are never the moments to isolate ourselves. In fact, what should happen is that is when we should pack in faith and love. That's when we need to pack it around each other. And we have this tendency when we're hurting to just pull away. And see, let me tell you what it is when we, when we actually pack in faith and love. It's not this. It's not me hurting and me, me saying, well, nobody cares. You know, I, I hinted, but nobody came over to help me. Nobody even called me. I told somebody I was suffering, and they just went to a stupid baseball game, and nobody cares. What is that? Let me ask you this. If, if you are hurting, if you have chest pains, do you go outside of emergency at St. Vincent's and go, people walking by, I'm hurting. I have pain right here and here. I, I'm hurting. Nobody cares. What do you do? If I got chest pains, I'm in the ER. I'm inside saying, I got chest pains. And if not listening, I say, I got chest pains right here. Give me the triage. Give me someplace. I got chest pains because I'm hurting. That's like going to the doctor. He says, what's wrong? You say, guess. I'll hint. 
It's somewhere in my body. What is that? When you're a kid, remember when you had bad dreams? Did you lay in bed going, Mommy, Daddy, I'm hurting. You ran into the bedroom, and you, and you probably did the stare thing, hoping they'd wake up and look at you. <laughs> and if they didn't stare, I mean, if they didn't look at you, you crawled in the bed. You got in there. That's what the scripture says. If you hurt, call for the elders of the church. It drives me crazy when people say, you know, so-and-so is in the hospital. They call anybody. No, they just thought you should know. What am I, clairvoyant? If we are the body of Christ, then communicate. You say, well, I've tried to tell people. Well, then jump in bed with us and say, I'm hurting. Well, if you really cared, you would know. No. Don't do that. Because we want to pack around you faith and love. And let me just define faith and love. Faith is simply this. Us getting with you telling you God is here. Don't worry, God is here. You know what love is? Love is me saying to you, I am here. Faith and love packed around you says God is here, I am here, therefore you're going to make it. But as we're, if we're the body, we've got to talk to each other. Thirdly, if we don't believe in God's lordship we will become indifferent to his holy teachings. So let me be clear. I believe that Jesus is returning for us and it is very soon. In addition to that, I believe that as he gets closer, it will become more intense and more difficult to live our faith. Read the scriptures, it's there. We're not going to live in the holy spa until he shows. It will get tough. And if that is going to happen, then there is a demand in our lives, if we're going to survive, that says we must dive into the real stuff. That means we've got to decide whether we are students or disciples. See, a student says, tell me what you know. Pastor Jason, I want to be a student of yours. Tell me what you know. I'll learn what you know. God, I want to know what you know, so tell me what you know. I'm a student. A disciple doesn't say, just tell me what you know. If I'm a disciple of Pastor Jason's, I not only say, tell me what you know, I also say, help me be what you are. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I don't want to just know what he knows. And see, we come in here and we get to know what he knows. But that doesn't do anything for you if you're a disciple because you have got to be what he is. And so when we say to God, I'm a disciple, it means I need to be as you are. Show me how to do that. Knowledge grasped, but not lived, is wisdom lost. In those moments, life gets tough. And let me tell you, as Jesus approaches, his, his coming approaches, it will get tough. And if we have not become a disciple, it will be very difficult for us to live in those moments because we'll have no wisdom as to how to live there because we let it go. We are not just a social club. Gather together and feel good, and then if you don't like this club, you can transfer to the other club. We are not a social club, and we are not a miracle manifestation program. Come here, we'll give you the miracles you want, and you can move on to the next place that's having the miracles. Yes, the miracles are vitally important. They're evidence of his teachings and his word, but they are not in itself what we desire. In fact, they came to Jesus and said, hey, do more miracles. And you know what Jesus told them? No more miracles for you. 
In fact, I'm only going to give you the sign of Jonah. Well, what was the sign of Jonah? Jonah showed up at Nineveh, and a whole city changed just on his being there and the word that he spoke. It was only his presence and his word. Jesus said, now is the time that the only thing that you're going to get from me that will help you survive is my presence and my word. Simply, worship and the word. If we have not dived into worship and the word, we are not going to have the strength we need to face what is going to transpire as Jesus comes closer. Worship and the word. The, re- the recitation, the reciting of the, ba- the things in the past, that comes from his word. Here's what you have done. It comes from our worship. Oh, God reminds us, look what I did for you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. Love, love comes from the love expressions. It comes from the worship because the more we spend time with him, the more we understand his love and then that love helps us love other people. We must dive into that which is real if we are to survive. That's why Paul said, look, we've been praying that God will clear the way so that we can get to you because, yes, your faith is strong, but we want to prepare you for what's ahead because there's more. That's why he says, chapter 3, verse 10, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. It sounds like they're not lacking anything, but he said, no, no, you've got time coming now, and you've got to be ready for that because what you're going to do is you're going to move from survival mode to thriving mode. And to thrive, we must unleash the uncontrollable. It is amazing to me that while they're trying to survive, Paul prays this incredible prayer. First Thessalonians 3.12, he says this, May the Lord make your love increase, Circle increase and overflow. Circle that for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May your love increase. The word means to enlarge. It means your capacity increases when you spend time in worship with God. It just gets bigger and bigger. That love just keeps flowing in you. May it increase. Made in large, and also may you have overflow, which means an abundance, an abundance that goes, and, and the scripture said there too, but the word is the Greek word ice, which means actually into, to actually go into the whole of those who you have relationships with. May your love be so awesome. May it be so full because of the time you spent with God in worship and his word that not only are you surviving, but now that love is flowing out of you so that it flows into the community of faith and even outside the community of faith. And you will make an incredible difference because his parousia will create there a hunger for him and a hunger for his return. You say, but, well, you know, I'm, I'm just barely surviving. The life has been tough, and, and I, I don't have much to offer. I, I really can't do much for people. I don't have much to offer because I'm not much. Well, I want you to understand that God specializes in the not much. There's this great word that Isaiah the prophet speaks on behalf of Jehovah God, and he says this in Isaiah 51. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined, Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah, who gave birth to your nation. Abraham was was only one man when I called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation. 
Just about two miles from where Jesus grew up is a rock quarry. It's still there. In that rock quarry, more than likely, Jesus and his daddy, Joseph, spent time. Because they were carpenters. You said, well, that's wood stuff. No, no. In that day, it was not only wood stuff, but it was also rock work. They would go into that quarry, and they would take the stones, and they would shape them there and form them and make them perfect for the slot, the place they were going to put that stone. They prepped it for that very wonderful opportunity. Isaiah is saying that this one you are anticipating, the second parousia, the second coming, this Jesus, that while you are waiting, he is shaping you and forming you so that he can place you specifically in opportunities that he's created for you perfectly to be. You say, well, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just, I, I just don't, I, I just, it's just me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that person. I don't have those giftings and I don't do that thing. No, 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 don't go there. You think Abraham was such a great guy? Twice. Twice he gave away his wife. And she would have been violated if God hadn't stopped the two kings from progressing any further in intimacy. Why? Because he's trying to save his own skin. But somehow, God chiseled out a man of faith out of that quarry. Sarah came from that quarry. Sarah laughed when God said, you're going to have a kid. And somehow, God chiseled out a a woman that's just in her 90s, chiseled out a woman who could give birth to the promise of God. Chiseled out of the same quarry. If we went to Hebrews 11, you'd start reading all the names of those those famous people from the Scriptures. You'd say they're heroes. No, no, no. They were all chiseled out of the same quarry. You? Same quarry. And we're not alone. Listen to what Paul says to his church in Thessalonica. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. All those holy ones, who are they? People chiseled out of the same quarry. You say, well, I don't feel very holy. Well, let me just tell you what holy is not. Holy is not us just sitting, trying not to offend God till he shows up. Holy is being blameless. And blameless in this context means this. Blameless means that we do not hold anything back. So that when our, when our income is low and our schedule is full and our dreams seem to be fulfilled, God says, no, 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 I have some things I need to do, so just give me all of that. Let it go. Give it to me. Release it to me. Everything you've got, your resources, your dollars, your time, let it go. Give it to me because if you do, I will give it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, so that you can, call, you can complete what I called you to do as people of Perusia, not people just hanging on until Jesus shows up. So then when he shows up, he says, Reisner, you held nothing back. You're blameless. Way to go. And holy? Holy means this, to jump into God's improvisation. What is improvisation? Improvisation is to fabricate what is conveniently at hand with what is conveniently at hand. God says, here you are, here's Reisner, and I need you here. Now see, when you get into God's improvisation, here's the unique thing. He knows what he's going to do with you, and you have no idea how to function there. 
Because you didn't plan on this thing. You didn't know about this improvised scene. And, but while you are there, he says, I will give you the words and the props, and you will function here because I created you for this spot even though you didn't know it. So when I say speak to this person, you go, oh, I can't. Yes, you can. Go to this spot. I can't go there. Yes, you can. Do this. I can't do Yes, do this thing. It is God's improvisation because you are people of Perusia, and he has shaped you, and you're ready even though you don't know it. See, the problem with that is that I like to argue with God. I like to negotiate with him when he starts doing those things. Okay, God, I will, I will, do, I will do kind of this thing for you. Uh, I'll kind of talk to this person, or I will give you just maybe 8% of my income, or, or I will give you three hours next week. I will, who are we? If this one who is coming is going to split the sky open and take evil and knock their heads together, don't you think we should say, all in? You get it all. You think when you see him, the Lion of Judah, you're going to say, hey, want to negotiate? You're going to say, whoo, here, everything, it's yours. Should that not be our spirit now? So that when he returns, he says, you're holy and you're blameless. I have given it all. You don't have to be a hero to do that. You just got to be chiseled out of the quarry. Like Nate Barlow. Nate gave up his medical practice in the U.S., went to Ethiopia to deal with people who had mossy foot disease. Mossy foot comes from the soil in Ethiopia. It creates swelling in the legs and ulcers, and it gets so bad that they're treated like lepers. So he said, I'm giving up my practice, and in the name of Jesus, I'm going to go and try to help heal these people. And he fell so in love with these people and gave up everything that at one point, he got an abscess tooth that nobody could fix, so he had to fly back to the States. He got there, and the dentist took care of it, pulled, extracted the tooth. This was a while back, extracted the tooth. And, and you know what he said? Nate Barlow said, look, I don't ever want to have to come back here because of problems with my teeth. So pull them all. He had every tooth removed so that he did never have to come back and leave his people that he loved. And when he died, without fanfare, in fact, nobody knew who he was, really. Out of the same quarry. Superhero is not required. I think of Jamie Lang. She was 20 when she went to Tanzania. She had $2,000 in her savings account and said, I'll go there as long as my money holds out. And so she went, and after the first six months, she was just freaked out by what she saw. And after that six months, she saw this eight-year-old girl carrying an infant, a child. She asked what the story was, and the story was that the, the eight-year-old was carrying this child because the child's mother is dying of AIDS and no one's there to take care of the, of the child. So immediately, Jamie says, I'll, I'll start paying for, out of my limited funds, for formula. So she starts getting the kid food and starts falling in love with this child knowing that the mother's going to die. And she starts age 20, starts thinking, I need to adopt this child. How can that be? The mother dies of AIDS. And Jamie says, I got to adopt the child. And, and they said, you can't adopt this child unless you're a resident here. So she stands another year and becomes a resident and takes six months to get a visa and brings that child back to the United States. And at this moment, that child Junio is his name, is five years old. 
The amazing thing about Junio is that he's not HIV positive, he's negative because while he was in his mother's womb late in the pregnancy, she took a morning after pill to try to get rid of the baby. It caused premature labor, and because the baby was premature and so small, there was no bleeding when the child was delivered, and therefore AIDS was not, HIV was not passed on to this baby. And what was intended to kill him actually saved him. And there was Jamie. Jamie's now married, has a daughter of her own, and she and her husband are going back to Tanzania as Wycliffe translators to translate the Bible to a tribe of people who have never heard who Jesus is out of the same quarry. Superheroes not required. The Robinson family of five, three of them, the kids are under age 10. You know what they do on Christmas morning? They don't dive into gifts. They get up and they make coffee and pancakes, put it in their car, drive downtown, then they get out their red wagon and they put the food in the wagon and they go around trying to find those who are poor and homeless and feed them on Christmas morning. And I can't think of any way to celebrate, any better way to celebrate the one who was coming to rescue those who are poor and hungry by feeding the poor and hungry on the day of his celebration out of the same quarry. Superheroes not required. Rings is an old man. Nobody knows how old he is, really. He lives out of the cab of his truck, and he parks at downtown Ocean Beach, California. He's a chain smoker, an ex-con, an ex-addict, an ex-alcoholic. He says that if Jesus saved his life, Jesus can save anybody's life, and so he doesn't use his money to buy a hotel, where he, a hotel room where he can stay or even buy alcohol with it. What he does is he goes, takes his money when he gets it, he goes and he buys food, he puts it in coolers, goes down to the beach, and then he cooks food for those who are hungry. And while he's cooking the food, he tells them about this Jesus who rescued him and that it's this Jesus who sent him to feed them. He gives away everything he has because he said everything he has God gave him to give away. From the same quarry. Superheroes not required. We're all out of the same quarry, looking for the same Lord. We are his parousia here and waiting for his second parousia to come. And those who are looking for that are not passive. They hold on to nothing. They let it all go. And they jump into God's improvisation and say, okay, I don't know the script and I don't know what to do, but you just show me. God's quarry doesn't make superheroes. God's quarry makes people of parousia. Jesus is coming. What are we doing about it? Let's pray. So, Father, we live in a culture that is so self-focused that sometimes we forget that we need to be focused on you and your coming. Forgive us. We're going to try really hard this week to let go of everything. And wherever you put us, that improvisation, you're using what you have, which is us, and so we will, we will deal with that. We will do what you want us to do. And in our pain, we'll recite what you've already done and what we expect you to do, and we will take care of each other in faith and love. And we'll dive into worship and word. We are so looking forward to your return.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want to be with you. Amen.